Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together as Mishpacha, as a family, to worship you and to receive from you. Father, I pray that you speak through me today, that you use my, my words uh, uh, that you put on my heart to bless us. Father, I pray that you receive from you. I pray that you use me as a tool for you and that you take complete control and speak into our hearts and our lives today. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says... Amen, amen. This week we are in Parsha Kitavo, which uh, begins in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. Um, if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 27. I'm sorry, 2616. Jumped ahead of myself there. Deuteronomy 2616. Um, I want to give uh, just a little background information, a little setup here as we get into the word today. This week's Parsha, Parsha Kitavo, is um, in essence the beginning of a passage of Scripture that we call the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy. Now, we, we see um, reference to the blessings and curses early in Deuteronomy. We also see hints at it throughout the rest of the Torah. But in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, uh, 26, 27, 28, and then uh, wrapping up with 29 and 30, we read about the blessings and curses. Very specifically, God lays out each of the curses each of the blessings, and then after the blessings are laid out, he lays out the curses again, about uh, 30 times as strong, uh, just to kind of hone in on what's going on and how important it is to honor his word. In this week's partial, we read about uh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Tebal, um, and these two mountains are two mountains in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel. Uh, as a matter of fact, Danielle and I stood on Mount uh, Gerizim, known as Harbacha, uh, the Mount of Blessings. Um, in Israel, it overlooks a city that used to be called Shechem. Uh, Shechem is the city that, um, that uh, uh, Israel resided in for some time. We know it's the city that Jacob's sons went and, and killed the men of uh, after they raped uh, Jacob's daughter and so on and so forth. Um, but Shechem used to be a very important city uh, for Israel back, way back, back when, um, before we came back again. Now Shechem is known as Nabalus. And Nablus is a Palestinian city. It is actually the largest concentration of Palestinians in any city in the, the land of Israel, in, in uh, uh, Judea and Samaria. Uh, it is in Samaria, uh, what's known politically as the West Bank. Uh, we don't call it that because we don't want to give them any claim to anything. It's called Samaria. Biblically, that's what it was called as Judea and Samaria. Uh, it's in Samaria, the north of Israel. Uh, Mount Gerizim is where six tribes stood. Uh, on Mount Ebal, on the other side, also known as the Mountain of Curses, is where six tribes stood, and the Levites stood in the valley in the middle, which is where Shechem is, where Nablus is now. Um, and the Levites and the Kohanim stood in the, the, the valley between the two mountains, and they proclaimed the curses, and as they proclaim the curses, the entire nation, the six tribes on one mountain, the six tribes on the other, after each curse would proclaim amen. In other words, saying, all right, we accept that. Okay, we accept that. Okay, we accept that. 
And then the blessings are, are proclaimed afterwards. The blessings were written on one mountain, and the curse is written on another. And there's uh, so much that goes into this. And it's really interesting that now uh, the city of Nablus is one of the, the largest strongholds. It stands right in between the mountain of blessings, the mountain of curses, and the city of Nablus uh, used to be Shechem, stands right in the middle of it. It's where Joseph's tomb is. Joseph's tomb is in Shechem. We can't get to it because there's so many Palestinians there. It's part of what's known as a red zone, which means that uh, Jews, uh, Israelis, are not allowed to go in there. If they go in, they're taking their life at their own, at their own hands and very likely will not make it out again. Um, the only Israelis that are able to get in there are the military, and only if there's a bunch of them. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, last year, while we were in Israel, while we stood on Mount Gerizim, or actually a day later, after we stood on Mount Gerizim, the Palestinians and Nablus set Joseph's tomb on fire, and the IDF rushed in and kind of took over the city long enough to rebuild Joseph's tomb. Uh, but this happened two days after, a uh, day after we stood on Mount Gerizim and overlooked and could see Joseph's tomb. Um, it's a really interesting area, but it's such a vital part of God's plan for Israel. It's such a vital part of the memorialization of what God did for Israel. Yet here's the enemy, and in this case, very literally, the Palestinians, which in terms of modern Israel is actually a legitimate enemy. Um, but the enemy, Hasatan, the adversary, is using this very important city where one of the fathers of Israel, Joseph, uh, is buried. The, he's, the enemy is using this city to be a stronghold against Israel, and even more directly than that, this city is being used as a reminder to Israel, a memorial to Israel of what happens when we do not uphold our end of the covenant with God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, so it's a very, very important, and, and prophetically, it's a very important location within the land of Israel. So if you have your scriptures, Deuteronomy 26, verse 16. Says this day Adonai your God is commanding you to do these statutes and ordinances. So you are to take care and do them with all your heart, with all your soul. Today you have affirmed Adonai as your God, that you will walk in his ways, keep his mitzvot, uh, keep his statutes, his mitzvot, and his ordinances, and listen to his voice. Now today Adonai has affirmed you as his treasured people, as he promised you, that you are to keep all his mitzvot that he will set you high above all the nations he has made for praise, fame, and honor, and that you are to be a holy people to Adonai your God as he promised. Um, this is one of the most important passages in all of the scriptures, right? If you pay attention to the wording, it says, today, verse 17, today you have affirmed Adonai as your God. Today you have accepted Adonai as your God. Now, this is not only something that happened at this very moment, but it's something that happened back at Mount Sinai. It says, Today you have affirmed Adonai as your God, that you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes and mitzvot and ordinances, and listen to his voice. And then it follows and says, Now today Adonai has affirmed you as his treasured people, as he promised you that you are to keep all his mitzvot, that he will set you high above the nations he has made for praise, fame, and honor, and that you are to be a holy people to Adonai your God as he has promised says, today you have chosen Adonai, and today Adonai has chosen you. This is an affirmation of both sides of the covenants, a renewal. And in this case in particular, once Israel goes into the promised land, because what's happening here is Moses is describing to Israel exactly what they're going to do when they cross the Jordan River in a few weeks, 
Uh, and, and when they cross the Jordan River, they're going to go and they're going to stand in Shechem and they're going to have the, the, the Levites and the Kohanim stand in the valley of Shechem and they're going to go up six tribes on one mountain and six tribes on the other and they're going to literally reenact what Moses is describing to them here. And it's a recounting, it's a reenactment for this generation, the second generation that did not see God's miracles coming out of Egypt, that did not see the presence of God on Mount Sinai. It's a reenactment of Mount Sinai for this second generation. They're going to go up to the Mount Gerizim and Mount Debal. They're going to stand on the mountains and they're going, and it's, it's also interesting to note that Mount Gerizim where the blessings stand. And if you look at the list of blessings compared to the list of curses, blessings is a short list. The curses is a re really, really long list. As a matter of fact, there's, there's a long list of curses, a short list of blessings, and an even longer list of curses. Um, and Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessings, is shorter than Mount Debal, the mountain of curses. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mount uh, Ebal, the mountain of curses, is the, the highest mountain in the, this range in Samaria. It's the highest mountain in Samaria, uh, the, the Mount Gerizim, or Mount Ebal, where the curses stood. Um, so it's a, a really interesting thing to see the way God's kind of playing this out and, and, and reenacting it for Israel. And so as they cross the Jordan, remember the Jordan, Joshua says, the book of Joshua says that the Jordan River parted. Uh, so that the second generation walked through the river on dry ground, just like their previous generation did coming out of e Egypt, coming across the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds, going into the wilderness. They, they experienced the same kind of a, a miracle from God, the same kind of signs and wonders. And then they get to the mountains of Mount Gerizim and Mount Debal, and the reenactment, the recounting of, uh, recounting of of Mount Sinai of, uh, happens with the second generation. And they get their own mini Sinai experience, although it's not at Mount Sinai, they get their own mini Sinai experience where they renew the covenant that the generation previous to them made with God. And they said, now this isn't the covenant our parents made, this is our covenant. This is us saying, we are your people and you are our God. And so it be, the, the blessing and curses, the d discussion of the blessings and curses begins with a reminder that today, the day that we stand at the mountains, today we are affirming Adonai as our God, and today he, Adonai, is affirming us as his treasured people. And then we skip ahead to uh, chapter 27, verse 9. I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 27, verse 9. says, Then Moses and the Levitical Kohanim spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for Adonai your God. Again, it's repeated. Therefore, listen to the voice of Adonai your God and do his mitzvot and statutes that I am commanding you today. And that word that we read over and over again throughout Deuteronomy, listen, is Shema. Like we say in the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It is not here as in the sense of what my children do when I tell them to do something. It is not here as in the sense of what Danielle likely says I do when she asks me to do something. Um, it's not a we let it come in our head and out the other side. This is hear and respond. Hear and take it to heart. This is hear and heed. There's an action that follows this type of hearing. So he says, uh, Therefore listen to the voice of Adonai your God and do his mitzvot and his statutes that I am commanding you today. Moses commanded the people on that day saying, When you have crossed the Jordan, these are to stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. For the curses, there are, they, these are to stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. And then we skip to verse... Uh, uh, to chapter 28, verse 1. Now, if you listen, again, Shema, if you listen obediently to the voice of Adonai your God, 
That's not just listen, hearing his voice speak, but that's listen and act upon. Take it to heart and follow through. Now, if you listen to ob- obediently to the voice of Adonai your God, taking care to do all his mitzvot that I am commanding you today, Adonai your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. Then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you listen to the voice of Adonai your God. Now the curses have already been proclaimed. The blessings are proclaimed. Verse 7, in the midst of the blessings says, Adonai uh, will cause your enemies to rise up against you, to be struck down before you. They will come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. As Israel went into the promised land of the book of Joshua, this is exactly what happened. They go into the promised land and God miraculously provided victory. All right, Uh, Jericho. There's no explanation for that victory except the hand of God. The walls fell because the, the, the sound of the shofar and the voices screaming so loudly and the walls collapsed and they had victory over Jericho. There's a battle where it says that, uh, that, that God fires hell rain, uh, rains of hailstorms down upon the enemy and, and, and wipes them out. Uh, over and over again, these miraculous battles. He says, enemies who rise up against you to be, uh, will be struck down before you. Verse 8, Adonai will command the blessing on you um, in your barns and in every undertaking of your hand. He will bless you in the land Adonai your God is giving you. Adonai will establish you as a holy people for himself just as he has sworn to you. If you, if you keep the mitzvot of Adonai your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of Adonai and they will stand in awe of you. Adonai will make you overflow in prosperity and the fruit of your womb, the offspring of your livestock and the produce of your soil. On the land, Adonai swore to your fathers to give you. Adonai will open for you his good storehouses, the heavens, to uh, give rain to your land and its season, to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. Adonai will make you the head and not the tail, and you will uh, be only above and not below. If you listen to the mitzvot of Adonai your God that I am commanding you today, careful to do them and, to, and do not turn aside from any of the words I am commanding you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods in order to serve them. But if you will not listen to the voice of Adonai your God take, uh, to take care to do all his mitzvot and statutes that I am commanding you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Now, the thing I want to point out here about the blessings and curses is... In the blessings, God says he's going to provide for us, right? Notice the wording there doesn't say we're going to be wealthy. That doesn't mean we won't be wealthy. But he he says he's going to provide. He'll make sure that our land produces fruit. He'll make sure that the womb produces children. He'll make sure that our barns are in good shape. He'll make sure that we we, uh, are, are safe from the enemy and so on and so forth. And the curses are the exact opposite. But there's something interesting about the curses too. In the curses, God never says he will not provide for us, all right? So he says in the blessings, he will provide for us, and in the curses, he never says he will not provide for us. And if we pay attention to Israel as they experience the curses upon them, and, and next week's Parsha, Deuteronomy 29 and 30, Deuteronomy 30 starts out with God saying uh, that when the time comes that both these blessings and curses have come upon you, in other words, God's prophesying that we are going to be okay for a little while, we are going to hold up our covenant with God, we are going to live righteously in His midst, then we're going to jack things up and we're going to walk away and we're going to deal with the curses too. Um, so he says, when the blessings and curses come upon you. But we know as Israel is, is taken to Babylonian captivity, we can read through Daniel and, and other books like that, that we see that God still provided. 
In a very miraculous way, he provided a protection, a hedge of protection, if you would, around Israel, that he kept a remnant of Israel, even in the Babylonian captivity, that they still remained. Daniel and others constantly were put in powers of authority, even in the midst of Babylon. Even in Roman, in the, the Roman world of the first century, there were Jews that were in high-ranking positions in the government that God allowed to be in those positions and provided protection for Israel. So even in the midst of us being in the midst of the curses, God still provides and protects. But there's a difference, and we've talked about this before, there's a difference between the blessings and the curses. In the blessings, we recognize God's provision. We recognize His protection. In the curses, we don't. And the curses are those times where we want to blame God because everything's wrong, because everything's falling apart around us, because our bank accounts are dwindled, because our houses are a wreck, because our family hates us, because our friends hate us, and it's all God's fault. But we ignore the fact that before our bank accounts were, were dwindled, that our rent was paid and, and our food was provided and our lights were still on, and, and we, we ignore the fact that, that even though we have people in our lives that are giving us a hard time, there are way more than that that give us a, a good time, that, that lift us up, that encourage us, that build us up. We ignore the fact that if we're struggling, odds are it's because we've got to get our minds aligned back with God. And that, that in the struggle, it doesn't mean that God's not there and providing and protecting. What it means is we are not seeing his provision, his protection. We were not hearing, we were not shema, we were not shemaing. Uh, it's a really poor way of using Hebrew. But we were not shemaing, we were not listening to the voice of God and, and honoring him. We were not acting upon our hearing before. And now that we're living under the curses, we again are not acting upon the hearing, but we're also not noticing the blessings and the provision, and the protection. God will never leave us nor forsake us, right? That's what his word says. It doesn't say as long as you do okay, as long as you do all of these things on this list of commandments, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, I will never lead you or forsake you. And if we're in a position where we feel like he has left us or forsaken us, it's because it's actually the other way around. We have left him and forsaken him, and he is still providing and protecting, longing for us to return back to him. But because our, our mind's in the wrong place, we don't see it. Uh, you know, Elizabeth jokingly mentioned my head earlier. Uh, this, uh, on Thursday was, was my birthday, and my aunt and I share a birthday. And normally, uh, on almost every other year that I've experienced, either Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur seems to fall on my birthday. And so, as a rabbi, I'm usually tied up on those days. So, my aunt and I rarely ever get to spend our birthday together. Well, this year happened to be a year where our birthday wasn't on a holiday, and so we were, I was able to go down. So Danielle and I and the kids went down to Venice to, to spend uh, a couple of days with my aunt, spend our birthday together, uh, and then we drove back yesterday. Um, so on Thursday, um, I, those that know me well enough, you know I hate secondhand stores, thrift stores. I don't have anything against them. Like, it's, you know, they're perfectly fine. Like, Danielle finds all kinds of cool stuff. There. That's all great. I hate going to them. It just drives me bonkers to have to go to one. Um, and so my, my aunt and Danielle drug me to every possible thrift store that exists in Venice, Florida. Every single, I don't think we missed one. Um, they drug me to every single one of them. So we're in the second to last one that we're at, and, uh, and I'm looking around, and, and I happen to see this corded drill. And I was like, oh, well, you know, it looks to be in decent shape. It's got the, the Chucky on it, which is usually a, 
a used drill doesn't have the Chucky on it, but it's got one on it. Like, oh, it's only a few bucks. Maybe it's, uh, actually, I think it was eight bucks and everything was 50% off. I was like, well, I might buy this one because it might be something that actually come in handy in my life. Um, and so the guy goes, hey, if you want, there's an outlet over there. You can plug it in and, uh, and, and make sure it works. And so I plug the thing in and I pull the trigger and everything seems to be working right. It spins flying. The drill's operating right. Um, and all of a sudden, as soon as I release the trigger, the cord popped off. Now, it's, it's, it's part of the drill, right? It's not supposed to be separate. It's not a detachable cord like my computer. Um, it pops off. Uh, well, I didn't see it happen. What I saw was I heard, poof, and then I see this spark ignite out. And, you know, it's like when I see movies uh, or TV shows where these, the, the, the nuclear bomb goes off and you see the mushroom cloud spread, right, and the, the radiation just zooms across. Like, it, now, it probably didn't happen that big. It may be in my head. But, but all of a sudden, I hear this pop, and then I see the light kind of go out like this, and then I start smelling burning. I'm like, what the crap? I look down. And the cord is on the floor. The drill's still in my hand. The cord's still plugged in the wall. And I look at it a little closer and realize that what, what happened was apparently the cord was broken off of the drill. And somebody just took some electrical tape and taped it back on. And the way they taped it on, it just looked like it was the cord sleeve at the head of the drill. And, uh, and so when I held the drill and plugged it in and was using, you know, uh, pulling the trigger, it was just enough that it popped that loose. Well, when it popped loose, there's still electricity flowing through that line, right? Um, and so this, I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, I, I reached down. I was able to pull the plug out the wall instead of burning the whole thrift store down. Uh, my opinion might have been better to leave it plugged in. I don't know. But uh, no, I, I unplugged it instead of letting the place burn down. And, uh, and I look at my hand, and there's this black mark on my hand. And, uh, and I was like, well, if my hand had been an inch lower, this would have been, you know, a really awkward day. I'd have ended up, this is on my birthday, like I, I'd ended up at the hospital. That could have been bad. I was like, well, at least I didn't get, you know, shocked, electrocuted, whatever. Um, and so I tell the guy about it and, you know, they go and take it and throw it away. And uh, we're walking out, the, uh, walking around the store still. And all of a sudden I realize my hand's numb. That's weird. About 15, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, I start to get filling back in my hand. Apparently, I had been shocked and didn't realize it. But my, you know, the black mark should have given away. But uh, I had been shocked and didn't realize it. Uh, I didn't receive the full weight of what could have been there because of it. Um, and so as we're walking around the store, we leave. And they drag me into a Goodwill. We're walking around Goodwill. And I'm sitting there thinking, as I'm starting to get filling back in my hand again, I'm going, man, that could have been a lot worse. Like, that could have, it could have really been a bad day. Um, you know, it could have ended in, you know, a cold box. Um, but, uh, but I was like, well, you know, obviously God was protecting me. That's really cool. So then later on that, that day, uh, we're back at the house and my aunt had given Danielle a whole bunch of stuff and, and I was loading all that stuff in the back of the Suburban so I wouldn't have to do it yesterday morning when we were getting ready to leave. Um, and all we'd have to do is throw a suitcase in and roll. So I'm loading all this stuff in and her neighbor comes over and uh, and, you know, those that know me well enough know that I'm obsessed with motorcycles. And so her neighbor comes over and he rides a, a motorcycle. And so we start talking and we're talking about motorcycles. And as we're talking, I go, I reach up, I grab the lift gate on the truck and I go to shut it. I clearly misgaged where I was standing. And I bring the corner of the lift gate down on my head, which is why my head's all bashed in. Um, and, uh, I, but I, I literally, you know, it's long pneumatic arms. You've got to put a little force behind it. I'm swinging this thing down pretty hard, and it just cracks down on my head. And instantly I knew that was bad. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, it hurt. 
and blood's like going everywhere. Any, any, I mean, you've even nicked your head. Like I shave my head pretty regular. And when I nick my head, blood comes out nonstop for a few minutes. And I mean, a minor little cut on your head and you bleed really bad, right? Well, I've got, you know, what, a two inch plus cut on my gash on my head. Um, from the same blood's going everywhere. Like my aunt's driveway looks like I was decorating a place for Halloween. Uh, I mean, it's just blood everywhere. It's bad. Um, but, and I reach up as soon as it happened, I leaned over and I reached up to put pressure on my head. Cause I knew, you know, I didn't know how bad it was, but I reached up to put pressure on my, on my head to try and, and help limit the bleeding. And my hands just getting covered with blood. And I put my other hand up and it's covered with blood and the blood's just pouring out. And I could have sworn I felt skull. Um, I mean, it, it felt bad. And the guy, the, the neighbor was standing there when it happened, and he goes, oh, oh, that's not good. You may need stitches. Uh, and he runs, he runs in the garage to the, the door of my aunt's house, and he leans in, and Danielle and my aunt had just walked in. They didn't see any of this happen. And he leans in the door, and he goes, uh, we need towels. We need towels now. And Daniel's like, why? What's going on? Uh, we need towels now. He's bleeding. And Daniel's like, he's bleeding? What are you doing? And on his way back out, while they're trying to grab towels, she, he happens to see one in a box in the garage, and he just grabs it and goes, here, put this on your head. I put it, it's a white towel. It's now drenched in blood. And uh, so they give me this ice pack. I put an ice pack on top of the towel on my head. And they rush me to the, the uh, 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 urgent care. And we get in urgent care. And the lady at the counter, I'm walking in with a towel on my head with an ice pack over. The towel's drenched in blood. I've got blood running down my face. My hands are covered in blood. And she's like, what happened? I went, I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, and every time I would spout out information, they asked for my social security number. I spouted out. They asked for my birthday. I spouted out. And you could just see this look of perplexion in their head. They're like, there's no way that that injury should allow you to be awake, much less still talking um, and, and being able to spout information off that actually matters. And, uh, and so they come in, they glue my head back together and, and what have you. I end up having to get a tetanus shot um, because I haven't had one in years. And so now my arm's really sore and uh, earlier in the service, it started spastically going nuts on me and, uh, and whatever. So um, I didn't have a headache at all on Thursday. Yesterday, we're driving back, and between the kids in the back seat and the, the radio and the, the lights flickering through the trees and all this kind of stuff, we get home yesterday afternoon, and uh, I run and pick up the dog from the kennel, and I come back, and my head is just throbbing. And I sit on the couch and I start to doze. Yeah, I'm like, I've just got to go to sleep to calm things down because I'm like, my head's killing me. And we go uh, to get uh, dinner because we just got home. We didn't want to cook. We go out to get dinner. We come back and we sit on the couch and we watch TV for about an hour or so. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to bed. So like 8.30 last night, I'm crawling in bed, going to sleep. Danielle comes in and she, I, she had to woke me up at least twice to make sure I was still alive. Um, and, uh, but I mean, my head was just throbbing. And, and thinking back, you know, I still ended up in the hospital on my birthday. You know, I, it wasn't because I was electrocuted, it's because I bashed my own head in. Uh, but I still ended up in the hospital on my birthday. Um, but as, and by the way, we, we still went to dinner afterwards. We still had our birthday dinner and, and whatever. But <laughs> it was a little different conversation we were anticipating, but we still went to dinner. But um, afterwards, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, clearly somebody wanted me to be alive. Because, I mean, either one of these could have been bad. Um, I didn't have a concussion uh, or at least not a concussion enough that the doctor had any real concern about. Um, and so, you know, I'm good to go there. A friend of ours uh, earlier this year, climbing out of her car, hit her head on the, the uh, crossbar of her, of her car and had a concussion so severe from it that for two weeks she had to lay in bed and couldn't move, 
couldn't have lights on, couldn't have the window, the blinds open, couldn't have any noise going in a room, nothing. Uh, and for almost three months afterwards, her head was all kind of discombobulated because of it. Um, and just from climbing out of the car and hitting her head. Um, and I'm thinking there was a lot more force than this. I mean, uh, it was nasty. And so thinking back, I'm, uh, clearly God's not done with me. Clearly there's more that I'm supposed to do. Clearly he's got a purpose for me to be alive um, and, and, and so on. And so I'm looking back, I'm going, uh, I know people that are, and, and in my own life I've done this too, but I know people that are, something goes wrong and we're so quick to blame God, right? We're so quick to put it on him. But the reality is it's far more likely that if something goes wrong, God's allowed it to happen. Not that God caused it, he allowed it to happen because we chose not to listen and obey. We chose not to honor our covenantal relationship with him. We chose to be outside of his will. You know, we have a friend who just, he's out of prison now, thank God, but um, he, was, he, he got drunk one night on his way home, gets an accident, and three people in the other car die. Uh, he spent uh, for weeks in the hospital as they, they rebuilt parts of him uh, and so on. But uh, he ends up two and a half years later, the, the uh, courts finally catch up and he goes for a sentencing hearing. He took a plea deal on, he goes for a sentencing hearing. Uh, and we were asking, we said, look, and, and some of you heard the story before. I said, look, do you think you're going to, as a guy that was in our sentencing, I said, do you think you're going to end up having jail time? What do you think is going to happen? And he said, look, uh, I don't know. He goes, whatever happens, I know it's God's will. If I go to jail, it's God's will. And I said, how dare you? How dare you be so arrogant to blame God for this? If you go to jail because of a, a DUI accident, if you go to jail, it's because you were outside of God's will. And now you're paying the consequences for it. How dare you blame God and say it's his will? Does that mean God can't use you inside? Absolutely not. God can use you. And as long as you're willing to walk right with him and you're willing to make teshuvah and repent and walk in faithfulness with him, he'll use you and you can change people's lives inside the prison. But don't you dare blame God when you end up in prison. If we end up in prison, if we end up in jail, if we end up uh, 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 bankrupt, it's because we chose to do something we weren't supposed to do. We chose to be outside of God's will. Now, that doesn't mean God's not going to provide and protect. In some weird way, God provided it. He came out of this thing alive, and he got three, mil, three square meals a day and a cot to sleep in. And, and even while he was in jail, just like with, with Daniel, while he was in jail, over and over and over again, God provided uh, miraculously ways for him to be, uh, be in positions that, that you would never think of. Uh, his first week in county jail, waiting to get transferred to state, he gets made a trustee. The next week, he gets made the head trustee. He's the only prisoner in this uh, county jail that's able to go anywhere he wants on the property. We would go to visit him, and the, the, the sheriff's deputies would let him come out to our car and chat with us out in the car when we were leaving. Um, he goes to prison, and uh, he goes to prison, he goes through the 30-day processing in the Atlanta area, and they send him to his, the prison he's supposed to stay at, and he gets uh, made a trustee there, and then shortly thereafter, after being a trustee there, he gets put in a, uh, this specialized program where they're training prisoners to be firefighters uh, and first responders, firefighters and EMTs, and he gets put in this program and trained by the state with all state certifications to be a firefighter. They've got a prison in South Georgia that has a fire department on the prison it's employed by all uh, prison uh, inmates that are all fully certified by the state to be firefighters, and they respond in the county to car accidents and bushfires and houses and so on and so forth. And he was able to be, the, the only time he ever saw a guard come through the fire, he lived in the firehouse, the only time he ever saw a guard come through was to do a head count twice a day. Other than that, they never bothered him, never uh, had any, you know, any concern with him or anything. Over and over and over again, God showed him supernatural provision. 
But a lot of times we would get in those types of situations and we blame God for being there. Well, I'm in prison. It's clearly God's fault. Well, no. How about we get our lives straight? How about we understand that the scripture says over and over and over again, listen and obey. And if you don't listen and obey, what's going to happen? You're going to get your butt kicked till you come back around and listen and obey. Right? Babylon, the greatest butt kicking Israel ever had. Over and over and over again. Um, I mean, it's unreal how over and over again throughout the scriptures, this is the case that God continually reminds us to listen and obey. And if we just listen and obey, things will go okay. And if we don't listen and obey, things are going to be a little rocky. That doesn't mean you're not going to eat. That doesn't mean there's not going to be money provided. That doesn't mean your life's not going to still be okay. And you're not still going to see remnants of God's presence in your life. But until you make a complete and total turnaround and make teshuvah and repent and turn back to him, you're never going to see the fullness of the blessings he has in store. And that's what he wants to give us is the fullness of his blessings. Romans 11. Romans, we, we did a Bible study on it here uh, a couple months ago. Romans is one of the most misunderstood Bibles, uh, passages in the Bible, most understood, misunderstood books in the Bible. And there's so much replacement theology based out of Romans, it just doesn't work. God's not done with Israel. In, in Romans 11, verse 11, we read this earlier, it says, I say then, they did not stumble as to fall. Did they? May it never be. Uh, but by their false step of false steps, salvation has come to Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. Now, if their transgression leads to riches for the world and their losses riches for the Gentiles, then how much more their fullness? And then he goes down, he says, verse 15, for if their rejection leads to reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, I want you to understand something. This is a passage spoken to Gentile believers in the Roman Empire about Israel, saying God's not done with Israel. Israel's denounce, denouncing faith in Yeshua. Israel's not accepting his salvation has allowed for the Gentile world to come to salvation, not for any other reason than for the Gentile world to do what they were supposed to do, which is to drive to Judah jealousy for his God so that the Jew will come back around, find Messiah and carry Messiah to the nations, so that then those from the nations will drive Jews to jealousy for their God. And it's a cyclical thing that's supposed to go on and on. And what God says here in Romans, and, and I think it's important that we grasp this, what God's saying here in Romans is, I'm not done with Israel, I will bring Israel back. Keep in mind that as much blessing as the Gentile world has received in salvation, because the Jews did not accept, how much more when the people that are supposed to be a light to the nations come back to Messiah, how much more will it be but life from the dead for the world? And for us as believers, whether Jew or not, I want you to understand those words, and this is not to take something out of context and make it say anything more than it does, but it's to be an encouragement. I want you to understand that these words can also equate to our lives. God's purpose for our lives is to be a blessing to others. A lot of times we get into, and there's that prosperity gospel garbage that's going on, right? Where people, it's all about what God can do for us, what God can do for us, but what God says is what can we do for others? right? When we're walking in full alignment with God, our lives are a blessing to others. We're not just looking at what we can get. It's not about us getting rich. It doesn't mean God won't make you rich, but it's not about us getting rich. And if you do get rich, it's not so you can be rich, it's so you can bless others' lives. And what God's saying here in Romans is whether we're speaking of, of Israel coming to faith and the world being blessed, or we're speaking of our own lives, making teshuvah, returning back to God in full repentance. When we, as God's creation, are restored in faithfulness through the blood atonement of Messiah to our creator, it is nothing but blessing to the world. Because it's one more person that can bring the light of Messiah to the world. 
So when things are going wrong in our lives, it is not a question of, of what God is trying to say to us and what he's doing to us, but instead it's a question of what we are doing wrong and what God's trying to bring us back from. Because God wants nothing more than for us to be in right relationship with him, to be restored in faithfulness to him, to listen and obey. A lot of times we want to write off that latter part, the obey. I don't know about you, but there have been countless times in my life where I know without a doubt I was outside of the will of God. But I also know looking back on it now that there is no doubt in my mind that God was still providing and protecting. It's not, the curses do not exist that we dwell on the curses. The curses exist to bring us back to the blessings. The curses are just like when our earthly fathers say, you did something wrong, now it's time for a spanking or to get put in the corner or to get grounded. The curses are God not punishing us for the sake of punishing, not punishing us for the sake of, of hashing out judgment, but punishing us for the sake of bringing us back around. The curses are there to make us recognize how much God loves us and how faithful we're supposed to be with Him. And even in those curses, there is provision. There is protection. We just do not recognize it. Avrahamim, Father of mercies. Father, we pray that as we continue to read in Your Word, as we continue to walk in relationship with You, as we continue to move through this Torah cycle this year, for the remaining weeks that are left. Father, I pray that you begin to reveal yourself more and more to us. Father, begin to reveal the beauty of what you have in store for us, walking in covenantal relationship with you. Father, it's not about honoring a list of commandments, a series of commandments. You don't ask us to keep your word for the sake of keeping your word. You ask us to keep our, your word because of our end of the covenant because it's our job to uphold the covenant that we have with you. You have never forsaken us. You have never forsaken your end of the covenant with us. But you have continually throughout history called us to return back in faithful relationship with you. So Father, as we continue to read through this year's uh, Torah cycle and we get ready to move into next year's cycle, I pray that you open our hearts and our ears to your voice, to your word, that we may not just hear, but that we may hear and respond, hear and obey. That we not experience curses and then blame you, but that when these curses, when these judgments, when these punishments fall upon us in our own lives, that we recognize that they're there merely to draw us back into your loving embrace. Abba, we thank you for the blood atonement of Messiah, for the salvation you have given us. Even though we as a creation do not deserve it, you love us so much that you have given your only son that we could be restored in relationship with you for all eternity, to dwell in the midst of your presence for all eternity. And Father, we thank you for that. We desire nothing more than to honor you and glorify your name before all men. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen.